Good morning. Welcome out to Vail. My name is Ted Max. I can serve on staff here as the lead pastor. We are glad that you are here. If you're in the house, if you could help me welcome those that are online today, we're glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us. Wherever you're tuning in from, those of you in Florida, California, Alabama, Iowa, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, New Jersey, New York, and on and on, and of course, Illinois, we are glad that you are here today with us. We are in a series entitled Just Getting Started, and I want to give you kind of the concept we've been going through the last couple weeks. Uh, We've been talking about some of the things that are found in the New Testament church that God instructed his people to do. Like there's some things, believe it or not, that God has work for you and I to do if we're a part of his church. And so we said, hey, if we narrowed this down, um, what are the core things that God has instructed us to do? And we found that there are four that we can show all throughout the New Testament. And so we've, we've gone through two of them already. We dug into the first week that you all have been created and designed to serve. That God gave you a gift that's inside of you that when you use it and you walk in the ways that God has for you, you will ultimately find yourself serving the way that Jesus did because you're never more like Jesus than when you are serving. Something beautiful happens when you serve with your life. The second thing we talked about is generosity. That you are wired to be generous. That God's desire is that you would give, that you'd be a giver. Why? Because God's a giver. He said, I gave my first and my best and I want you to give your first and your best and it's about your heart and your life and so God wants your generosity. And then this week, we get to talk about the thing that we actually are doing right now. Like it seems so simple, like it's just something that sometimes it's tradition, it's a weekly thing, but he's called us to gather together. That he wants us to gather together on a consistent basis to be with one another, the family of God, and to worship. And so to do that today, I want to take you through kind of this idea, kind of a big picture idea of what is worship. What have we been called to do? How are we to do it? Um, It's one of my favorite sermons to preach on just because I think it's something powerful when God's people gather together. And so what I want to do is I want to kick it off with a verse um, that's a really important one in the season that we're in right now. And it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Here's what it says. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm going to stop there. I just think this is really good. It says that there's this opportunity for us to basically do something together, that we need to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, the reason I love this is because it's simple. You see, the Bible says that God wants us to love him with everything that we are, with all of our mind, our soul, our strength. And he says, and I want you to love people the same way that you love God. He says, so to do that, gather together and stir one another up to that. Like, let that be part of your anthem, your cry of who you are. And he says, then these good works that should flow out of that relationship should happen in our lives. But he says, here's the thing I want you to know, though. In order to do that, in order to stir one another up, it says this. It says, don't neglect meeting together. And he says that that can become a habit of some. In fact, if you've ever been a season where you, you started going to church, you got consistent with it, it's real easy to get out of that habit. Um, we just went through a season called COVID where a whole bunch of people got out of the habit and it was hard to get back into it. But he says, hey, listen, don't miss the opportunity to gather. In fact, let me talk to those of you that are online. Um, some of you, you're online, you haven't been back to church. I would encourage you, find a spot to gather together with God's people because he wants you to be with one another so that we can then meet together. And he says, out of that, you can encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, there's something powerful that happens when we gather together. And then the question becomes, why do we gather? Why do we gather together? And so let me kind of give you um, uh, the answer really through a a kind of obscure passage, but it's found in the book of Revelation. And I want to give you the context of this. There's a gentleman by the name of John, John the Revelator, who is having a vision of the future. 
He's actually in heaven and he's being shown all these miraculous, amazing things. He's like seeing the future and all the things that God has planned. And there's this moment where this angel shows up and takes John on this journey and shows him all these unbelievable things. And John is so overwhelmed. Um, in fact, let me show you what happens in Revelation chapter 22. It says this, he said, I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. He's like, hey, that's not a good idea. You should go ahead and stand up, stand your feet right now. Nope. And he said this, he said, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. And then he made this statement. He said, worship God. Would you say that with me? Say, worship God. See, here's the premise. He says, there's a lot of things out there you could worship. Even a mighty angel who's showing you all these miraculous things, he says, it'd be easy to see that power and that majesty and that might and say, well, this is worthy of my time, my attention, and my worship. And all of a sudden, the angel's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. No, we don't, we don't worship anything else. There's one thing that we worship, the only thing that we worship, and that is that we worship God. He says, God is who we've come to worship. If you were to go back to the New Testament church, you would find that there were two things that they did consistently when it came to worshiping God. I'll give them to you real quick. The first thing they would do is they would gather in people's homes and they would basically have community in small groups. They would gather together. They would probably have a meal. They would talk. They would discuss. They would learn about their faith. They would sharpen their faith together. But then weekly, they would gather together in the temple courts. So they would actually go to the temple that was designed for kind of temple worship and they kind of made it a new place. They went to Solomon's portico, which is this covered area of the temple, and there the New Testament fledgling church that was just birthed would gather together every single week, and they would worship together God. And they would bring this moment and this energy together, and they would feed off of this power that took place when God's people gathered together. And ever since then, we've been doing it. Ever since then, people gather once a week to worship God. And there's this moment we got to recognize, and this is just the truth. Something I have found to be true in my life, and believe it or not, it's true in your life, even if you don't want to admit it, and it's this right here, that you and I, as humans, are actually hardwired to worship. We're hardwired for it. It's just inside you. In fact, even if you're here and you're not a believer, I can tell you this, you have faith in something. It may not be God, but there's something you'll have faith in. I've talked to atheists who would say, well, there is no God, and yet if you talk to them and you listen to them, you'll find they have faith in something. They have faith in evolution. They have faith in the God of randomness. They have faith in nature. They have faith in laws of physics. Like they have faith in something. There is something that you will place your faith in. You see, faith is non-negotiable. You cannot not have faith. And I would actually tell you that you cannot not worship. We worship all sorts of things. You can watch people go to sporting events and all of a sudden someone who's very docile and controlled who says, well, I don't worship anything. When their team scores, it's amazing how many hands will go up in the air and people will worship in stadiums. People worship. In fact, to show this and to demonstrate this in the Bible, I want to take you to a really interesting story, one I've always really enjoyed. It's found in the book of Exodus, but let me set it up real quick. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn. They're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. But um, there's this time that Moses has led the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the wilderness. They're currently in the wilderness, and now God decides that he's gonna give his commands to his people. And so Moses stops at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites are now in the desert. He sets up camp, and Moses says, hey guys, I'm gonna go up to the top of the mountain, and I'm gonna commune with God. So you guys just hang out here and don't get in any trouble. So Moses climbs the mountain, 
and a little bit of time goes by. And I know it probably doesn't feel like a little bit of time. He was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if I told you as a parent, I was leaving you, you're my child, and I said, I'll be back in a little bit, 40 days went by, you'd probably start to worry. Now, what I find interesting is what they say, what the people of Israel say to the person who was left in charge. Here's what happens, Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him. So Aaron was left in charge. Moses had been gone for 40 days at this point. They're getting worried. And so they go to Aaron and they say this to him. They say, Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, I've always found it interesting. The first thing they say to Aaron is, hey, Aaron, um, could you make us an idol, right? Could you just, could you make us some gods? We just need something to worship. Here's the point. 40 days had gone by, and at the end of 40 days, they could not not worship. They were like, hey, we got to worship something. We're, We're going crazy here in the desert. We need something to worship. I've always found it fascinating. They didn't go to Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, it's been 40 days. Search party. Like, let's go find Moses, right? Maybe we should get our leader. This seems like something's wrong. It's been too long. Let's climb the mountain. Let's find Moses. That's not what they went for. They went for worship. They said, hey, listen, something's missing. Something's lacking. We need to worship. Aaron, will you make us some gods? Now, I would love to tell you that Aaron, you know, being the man of God that he is after seeing the miraculous things that happened in the wilderness was like, what is wrong with you people? But no, Aaron's like, hey, uh, in order to make you an idol, I'm going to need some gold. And so... um, I'll need you to go around and collect all the gold that you have. The Bible says that actually they had earrings, gold earrings. Now, I don't know if you think about this, but it's kind of interesting. Um, These people were slaves for generations. They've just left Egypt. Why in the world do they have gold, right? Where did you get all the gold? And it actually tells us in the Bible, but in order to get that answer, you got to go back a little bit. I want to take you back to Exodus 12, verse 36. It says this. It says, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked, thus they plundered the Egyptians. Here's how the story goes. After 10 plagues have been poured down by God on Egypt, the people of Egypt were ready for the Israelites to leave. They were like, it's time for you to go. You can leave now. Please go as soon as possible. And so one of the things that happened is God turns the heart of the Egyptians that when the slaves were being released, they basically at this point so badly wanted them to leave. They said, what do you need to make your journey? And I guess a bunch of Israelites were like, well, we'll need some food. We'll need some blankets. Those are nice gold earrings. I'll take those as well. And so they gathered a bunch of gold and wealth from the Egyptians and the Egyptians just gave it to them. They said, take it, please. So think about this. These earrings and this gold was a gift from God. Think about that. God had given them a gift, and then Aaron said, I will craft for you an idol, but in order to craft you the idol, I will need the gift that God gave you so that I can make it into an idol. They took God-given gifts and turned them into an idol, and can I just give you something that I think is true for us? I think the greatest gifts that God gives us have the greatest potential to become idols in our lives because the things that are good can be good, until we place them in a space where we think they're great. And before you know it, something that was great can become God. And we begin to worship something that is inanimate, something that's created versus the thing that was the creator. So here's kind of what happens. I want to show you this. It says this. He received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with it a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they, say they. It says that they, the people, 
said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is one of the most interesting stories for me in the Old Testament because it shows something about the nature of mankind. So let me just give you the story here. They've gone through this 40-day window. Moses is gone. They took the gifts of God and it's now been fashioned into an idol that they can now worship. And then what we recognize is all of a sudden they give this inanimate golden object credit for taking them out of Egypt and delivering them into what should be someday the promised land that God promised them. Now, just to get context to this, I need to walk you back through the story real quick. When they left Egypt, they saw 10 plagues fall upon Egypt where Pharaoh said, you need to leave. The people of Israel left and they came to the Red Sea and Pharaoh had changed his mind and so he pursued them with his army and God parted the Red Sea and the people of Israel walked through on dry land, made it to the other side and then God closed the waters on top of the army that Pharaoh had procured to follow them. When they got to the other side of the water, they didn't know where they were going so God said, I will guide you with the cloud during day and I will lead you at night by a pillar of fire. When people got hungry, God said, I will rain food down from the heavens and I will give you manna every single day. I will be your daily bread. He said, God, we need to drink in the wilderness. We're in the desert. There's no water. God said, out of a rock, I will give you my water. And I became the water that you need. At every turn, God provided, God provided, God provided miraculous things. And they get to the bottom of Mount Sinai, 40 days goes by, and all of a sudden they forgot everything that God has done for them and they worship an inanimate object. You see, here's a reality for us. In our lives, we have a choice, but we will make this choice, and it's such a small little shift. And here's what I found to be true in my life, and I bet it's true in your life, is that you will either worship the created or you will worship the creator. You'll worship things that are made or you'll worship the one that makes them. You see, the truth is, is at church, we came here to worship not anything and not anyone. We came to worship the one who created everything and everyone. You've got to decide, are you going to allow God to be the thing that you worship, or are you going to allow other things to slip into it? And there's so many times that I don't think we even know we got there. There are so many times that I think we can actually put something in front of God and not even know that it's there. And there are seasons in life where if you're not careful, you can actually find yourself living life and, and where you're putting your money and your time and your talents and your efforts is not into the things of God, but it's into the things of men, and you don't even realize that it's not what God wants for you, and you start to have these little breakdowns in your faith journey, and it's because you're not actually worshiping him anymore. You're worshiping things that he's allowed you to have in your life. And here's what I want to show you is that each of us has been called to worship, but the question becomes, how do we worship? How do we do it? And so I want to give you a word that I've always found really interesting that we use all the time, at least I do. Um, and I would tell you that the Bible would say that we've been called to worship God with enthusiasm. In fact, would you say that? Would we say enthusiasm? Now, I don't know if you know this. I've always loved this word because it actually comes from two different words. And so if I were to take enthusiasm and I were to break it down, it comes from the word en and theos, which is in God. When you hear someone say, oh, you're so enthusiastic, you've just said, oh, you're so into God. When you say, oh, you're doing this thing, and, and there's a lot of enthusiasm behind it, you're saying you're doing this thing, and the thing that's fueling you is actually God. In theos, enthusiasm means in God. You see, the word itself that means to be enthusiastic means to have God in you. Why? Because Christians should be some of the most joy-filled people on the planet. We have a God who loved us, that sent his son to die for us, to give us a hope and a future, to give us forgiveness, to give us life. And yet so many times Christians, I don't see a lot of enthusiasm, no offense. 
But there's so many times that we can come to church, and, and I know we got stuff going on, there's things going on in our lives, but like the music can start, and we're singing songs to God. By the way, worship's not about you, it's about God. And people can have their hands in their pockets, uh, a coffee in their hand, they can do a little sway. Sometimes they just point, they frown, they just don't like it, they're not excited. And I'm always reminded that, that it's not about the music, it's not about the environment, but it is about your heart connecting with God. Even when we sing, even when we, we live our lives, in fact, can I just show you in the Bible, it's really clear, there's some things that God has called us to do. In fact, let me show you the first one. In fact, the Bible, it says that we have been called to sing. We've been called to sing. In fact, let me show you what the Bible says about it. Here's what it says. It says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. It says that we have been called to sing. Now, here's where this becomes kind of an issue. I don't know if you know this, but 40 to 60%, 40 to 60% of you are terrible singers. That's what the data says. It's kind of a broad range, depending on who you ask, but it was 40 to 62. That's what it says. So 40 to 62% of you are terrible singers. And so when it comes time to go to church, it's like, oh, you're supposed to sing. You're like, well, no, I didn't. I wasn't given that gift. And the truth is, is God knows because God created you, designed you. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head or the lack thereof. Like he, he knows, he knows you. He knows if you can't sing. You know what's great about God is God doesn't care how good you sing or how good you think you sing because when you sing praises to him, you have perfect pitch. You might come into the building and say, well, I don't, I don't really want to sing. I don't really, I don't really know the words. Well, that's okay because we're not singing to you. We're singing to him. Well, I don't know if I really like the music. Well, the music's not about you. It's not your preference. It's God's preference. And I can tell you when your mouth opens and you sing praises to him, God's power is released in your life. I'm convinced that when you sing, all of a sudden something changes in the atmosphere of our lives. The reason that I think God loves us to gather and sing is because when we are united in singing, it's amazing how we can be singing truths about God and there can be a person next to you that may not believe those truths, but now there's hundreds of people surrounding them singing them and they have to start to question and ask themselves, do I believe this? Something happens when we sing. That's why, that's why he calls us to. He says, I want you to sing. In fact, in the Bible, I love this verse in Psalm 34.3. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Say magnify. magnify. Now, most of you know what this word means. Right, I don't know how many of you were like kids at some point and you had a magnifying glass. Anybody ever get one of those when you're a kid? Like some of you know what you did, you burned ants, shame on you. Um, but some of you just were excited about the, the, the opportunity to explore stuff, right? I remember when I got my first magnifying glass, I mean, as I get older, I realize I need it more, um, you know, because I need things to get what? Bigger. Like that's what a magnifying glass does, right? It makes things bigger. You know what I love about this statement? It says that we are to magnify the Lord. I, I've got news for you. You cannot make God bigger, God is already as big as possible. He's as big as can be. Your praise and you singing worship to him does not make God bigger. But when you sing praise and when you worship him, God becomes bigger to you. All of a sudden, you magnify him in your life. I've been amazed how people can come in on a weekend and they can be just, just destroyed from their week. Man, they can be weighed down. Things going on in their life, things going on in their world. Like All of a sudden, they can just be weighed down. It can just be heavy. And then all of a sudden, you come in and you're like, I don't feel like singing. I don't even wanna be at church you know, I had to come today. My wife made me come. My, my husband made me come. Right? My kids, they come, and they said we had to go. Like, I don't know what brought you, but there's sometimes you don't want to be here, and you come. And what I found is that if you're open to it, and you sing even when you don't feel it, even when you don't agree with it, even when you don't like it, what I'm amazed is, is I begin to sing of the power and the presence and the majesty of God. I begin to sing it, and as I begin to sing it, I begin to believe it. As I begin to believe it, all of a sudden, it's amazing how my problems that felt so big when I walked in the door become small because God is getting bigger in my life. My problems didn't change, but my perspective of God changed in that moment. Why? Because I'm magnifying him. I'm exalting his name, and his name becomes powerful. 
And the Bible's just clear on this. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. You see, we sing, we ascribe to him. We lift him up. We proclaim his power, his presence. He says, we've been called to sing. The second thing we've been called is we've been called to lift our hands. Um, every once in a while, people come to church and they, they always ask like, hey, um, why do people raise their hands in church? Like, it just seems weird. And I've preached on this before. It's always one of my favorite things to like tell people. Like, it's just in the Bible. It's just biblical. You see, um, my favorite illustration came when I was in um, high school ministry. I remember a time that I was sitting under the teaching of a pastor and he, he asked the question, he said, hey, if I were to pull a gun on you right now, what would you do? Now, if some of your first thought is run. That's not always a good idea. Um, but I, I said, I, I know what I would do. I would put my hands up to say, whoa, 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 don't shoot. Don't shoot, I, I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat to you. My hands are empty. I'm not a threat, don't shoot. And I think about that sometimes. There's just something powerful about raising our hands to God where we say, God, I surrender. God, I surrender. There's nothing else in my hands. You are the one that is worthy of my time, my attention, my worship. God, I submit to you. I surrender to you. And that's what the Bible says, that we've been called to lift hands. Let me show it to you. Here's what it says. Psalm 28 says, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 63, I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 119, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. It says, I desire then that in every place, I've always loved Timothy. Um, it's this concept of every place. It's everywhere. Say everywhere. It's not just church. He says, it's everywhere you go. It's everywhere you recognize that. I don't know if you know this, but like you, you came into a church. This is just a building. I've always loved to think about this, that when Jesus came, and he made his church and he made it of people, like you are the church of God, like everywhere you go is his sanctuary. Like when you're in your kitchen, you think it's your kitchen, it's not, it's his sanctuary. When you are at work in the office, you are in his sanctuary, that's his dominion, that's his land, that's where he has power, that's where he has might. He says everywhere you go. He says, I love this, he says that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You see, there's this concept of what does it look like for us to surrender to God? I want to give you the last one, and this is the one I'm going to ask you to participate on. Every time I preach on this, this concept, I always love to have people participate. But in the Bible, it actually says that we've been called to shout to God. I don't know if you know that. Like every once in a while, yeah, every once in a while, you'll come to church and hear someone say amen, right? Or someone gets a little excited. Every once in a while, it happens in church. And the reason it happens is because the Bible actually says you're supposed to do that. You see, some joy gets inside of you, and then the joy escapes, all of a sudden, something inside of you that, that connects with God's word or during a song or something that you're declaring just feels good. And you're like, man, I just got to shout a little bit. I just got to let somebody know that God is good in my life. And the Bible says, this is what you've been called to do. And so here's what I want to do. Every time I say shout, I want you to give me a woo. All right, let's give it a try. One, two, three, shout. All right, you got this. Let's see what the Bible says. Here's what it says, Psalm 27. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. My lips will shout. For joy, when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout Amen. 
For joy to the God of Jacob. Come, let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, with triumph, with trumpets and the blast of ram's horns. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. There's a lot of shouting in the Bible. Listen, listen, why does God have us do these things? Why do we gather and worship? You see, it's, it's back to the thing I said earlier, and I want to just develop for one second. Just stay with me for like just a couple minutes. See, when we come and we shout, when we clap, we praise, when we sing, we worship, I can tell you this, worship in those moments does not make more of who God already is. It doesn't make more of him. But what it does, it has the power in our lives to make more of who God is to us. You see, I think if we're not careful, we can start to kind of treat this gathering as kind of just an optional thing if it works and fits into our schedule. And I would challenge you. I would challenge you not to do that. At the very beginning, I said, don't neglect the gathering as this habit for some. I would tell you, don't let that become a habit. Don't let it become a thing where you disengage and disconnect from God's people. Because here's what I've seen. In 20 years of ministry, I watch as soon as people start negating their responsibility to gather with other believers, they start a trickle down. Because here's a truth, and this is something someone said to me years ago, and I found it to be very, very true. There is no such thing as standing still in your faith. There's no such thing. I know that some of you have this moment, maybe in your life, you go, I'm, I'm kind of stagnant right now in my faith. You know, I'm not, I'm not moving forward and I'm not moving backward. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm stable. I've been, I've been in church a long time. I'm stable. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not true. There's no such thing as stable. There's no such thing as stagnant. You're either moving forward in your faith towards God or you're slipping away from him. It's one of the two. And I can tell you that if you would say, well, I'm stagnant, I can tell you that stagnant is just another word for I'm slipping slowly away. It's just true. And I know that people don't love to hear that. They love to say, well, no, I'm just, I'm just here. This is where I am right now. And I would tell you that God's desire is that you would continue to move a little closer because there's a promise in the Bible. Do you know why we gather? And I want you to gather consistently and every single time because even though you don't know it, when you're getting taught, there's something that's happening in your heart. You're having to question what you believe and why you believe it. Every single time a pastor gets up and preaches, there's something in your mind. You have to go, do I believe that? And there's a journey that's going on. When we sing, even if you don't like it, and I wanna release you, that if you're one of the bad singers, sing a little louder, just go for it. We'll turn the music up, nobody will hear you. But there's an opportunity for you to sing, for you to lift your hands, for you to shout, for you to worship, for you to learn, for you to listen, and here's why, because each and every single one of those opportunities is an opportunity for you to draw close to God. And the Bible would say this, it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let me read it again, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, I, as a father, um, my kids every once in a while, they're getting a little older now, so I don't get it as much, it makes me sad. And some of them are in the room right now, it, it makes me sad, I want you to hear that from me. There are times my kids will just feel this need to, to hug me. And as they get older, it's a little harder, it's not as much. My, my littlest one still is like, like he comes in from school and as soon as he hears my voice, he'll say, daddy, he'll drop what he's got and he runs right to me and he jumps into my arms. Now, as the father, it'd be really easy for me like, you know what, I pay for this house, I've given you life, right? You're welcome. And so I'm going to stand still and you may run to me as the father. You may come to me, I'm in the living room, I will stand place in the living room and you may run to me, find me, find my voice, come to me, I'm the father. It'd be easy to have that moment of like authority of like, well, I'm, I'm the dad and you wanna hug me. I didn't say I wanted to hug you. You said you wanted to hug me, so come find me. 
And it'd be easy to be that way, but I got news for you. As a father who loves his kids, when my kid's running to me, I'm running to my kid. When they're running to me, I'm running to them. I will meet you in the middle. I'm gonna meet you right where you want me to be because I want them to see the joy and enthusiasm that's in me as I pursue them. And I can tell you this, I am not a good father compared to God, your father. He's a good father. You know what I love about him? He says, listen, if you will take a step to me, I promise I will take a step to you. When you come running to me, I will come running to you. When you grow closer to me, I will grow closer to you. When you worship me, I will come find you. You see, God makes a promise. You draw to him, he will draw close to you. And this is the invitation. Don't miss the opportunity to gather, to worship, and to draw close to God because when you do it, he does it to you. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be close to the Father in heaven who saved me, redeemed me, gave me a hope and a future and the one who promised me eternity. I wanna grow close to that Father and I hope you do too. Amen? Man, let's worship God. He's worthy of it. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, it's a simple question. What are you worshiping? Is it God? Does he have that position in your life? It's, it's not about the gifts that you have. It's not about the money, the relationships, the positions, the power. It's about a God in heaven who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. He says, listen, I want you to worship me because believe it or not, you were created and designed for it in the same way he says, I wanna love you as a father. God, I pray right now for each and every single person in this place and online that God, we would make a commitment today to not neglect gathering together. But God, we find every opportunity we can to be in the presence of other believers so that we can stir one another on to love and good works. God, I just pray that you would just do something powerful in our midst as we sing songs to you here in just a moment as we sing. God, as we celebrate baptism and we hear people's stories of life change, God, help us to remember that you are the one that we came to worship. We gather here together for you, for your name for your sake, for your power. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's a God in heaven who loves you, loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants nothing more than have a relationship with you. The Bible says that God sent his one and his only son to come and to live a perfect life that you couldn't live and then to die on a cross in your place. And he says, if you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, They brought him up out of the grave, that he died on the cross, but on the third day, he raised him to new life. He says, if you believe that, that God can do that, and you confess with your lips that he is your Lord, that he is your savior, God says, I'll save you. Why? Because it's your faith that saves you and God's work on the cross. He says, you just have to believe and trust that. If you want that right now, wherever you are, you just simply pray. You talk to God, you say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. I place my faith, my trust in Jesus as my Lord, as my savior. And in that moment, as you pray, as you believe, as you trust, God pours out his forgiveness on you and he gives you a future and he gives you a hope. God, I pray right now in this place that for those that are saying yes to you, I pray you'd send your power, your spirit to live and to guide, empower them. God, help them to worship you with everything that they have in their life. God, help them to trust you. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today to worship you because you're worthy of our praise. It's in your precious name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. 
To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.